We're going to talk about, this is our last parable. Really interesting. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2. So if you want to find your way there. It's more of a metaphor than it is a parable, but it makes a great point, and it's super important that we understand this. By the way, at the end of the service, we're going to take communion, so if you didn't get your little cup, I'm going to give you a second to do that at the end of the service. So here's the deal. I've got congestion, I've got my cough drop, and my tea, and we're going to try to make this through together, okay? There are some things that don't go together, and so let's talk about a couple of them Obviously, oil and water, that was kind of the first one I thought of. But I made a list of things that don't go together. Uh, Tires and nails don't go together. Um, Driving in the left lane and not passing does not go together. There's a whole subset of driving things that don't go together. Texting and driving, drinking and driving. Uh, Young men and fast cars, those that don't go together. You know, there's a lot of things, subset of driving things that don't go together. Um, stiletto heels on soggy ground. That's not a bad combination. Uh, toothpaste and orange juice. Did you know they had an orange juice flavored toothpaste at one time? Uh, didn't go over because it's nasty. Um, electricity and water don't go together. Uh, all you can eat buffets and diets don't go together. Uh, University of South Carolina fans and Clemson fans don't go together. Aluminum and microwaves don't go together. And my favorite, laxatives and sleeping aids do not go together so there's stuff that doesn't go together all right so jesus makes this claim we we live in a society where we're supposed to be ultra tolerant of everything and so jesus makes a statement that is wildly exclusive it's unmixable it doesn't go with anything else he says i'm the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father but through me It, it is the ultimate exclusive statement see in our society we want to all roads to lead we, we really like all roads to lead to heaven buddha gets you to heaven muhammad gets you to heaven be a nice gets you to heaven crystals get you to heaven be a nice gets you to heaven i mean there's there's a lot of things that we would like to be true that just aren't true and, and so jesus dealt with that even in his day now it was different than what we deal with in some ways I'm not sure Jesus encountered a lot of Buddhists or a lot of, you know, Muhammad wasn't even around yet. Uh, so I'm not sure he dealt with those things. But he did deal with people who said the way to God was good behavior. You, you earned God's favor. And those people were everywhere. And Christianity simply does not allow us uh, that... <laughs> that thought process, that, that idea. And so he tells this little story. In fact, it's sort of this little series of stories. And this is our, uh, kind of our last week together. And so you get, you get bonus stories because uh, he, he tells two or three different things at once about how uh, following him and following uh, works, doing good things, are unmixable. They're, they're, they don't go together. And, and so he tells this, and I'm, we're going to read it And then we're going to set it aside and we're going to come back to it in just a little bit. But he says this, no one sews a patch of unshrunk, unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wine skins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wine skin will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wine skins. 
So he tells two kinds of stories at the same time. But you have to understand the context. Every one of Jesus' stories depends on the context. So let's, let's back up a little bit. Let's figure out the context. Um, Jesus calls a tax collector to be one of his followers, a guy named Matthew. You all know this story, I'm sure. But this is the context for Jesus telling the story, and it's really u- uber important. Again, Jesus went out beside the lake, that would be the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, also known as Matthew, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. And he says, follow me. And Levi got up and followed him. And the religious elite of Jesus' day, the scribes and the Pharisees, would have absolutely nothing to do with tax collectors. They were considered traitors and uh, uh, scum, and they couldn't go to synagogue, and I mean, they couldn't go to church. So they really had a, a bad taste in their mouths about these, these uh, tax collectors. They just not have anything to do with them. And, and so Jesus calls a tax collector, it's almost as if, he strategically picked a tax collector just to kind of push their buttons. I don't think that's true, but, but it certainly worked that way. And in Jesus' 12, he has a tax collector who works for the Romans, and he has a guy named Simon who's a zealot who works against the Romans, and he brings them all together. See, we can find commonality in Christ. And so Jesus calls Matthew. And so some of the lessons from the parable we're going to learn today, one is this, the gospel is for anyone and everyone, but it is exclusive. So it gets worse. Not only does Jesus call Levi, also known as Matthew, to be one of his disciples, then he goes and has a party with him. Look at the next verses. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, Many tax collectors and sinners. Notice how many times this is in the verses, by the way. Tax collectors and sinners. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, he asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? You see that what the, the emphasis is on those couple of verses? Tax collectors and sinners. And, and if there was a headline in the newspaper the next day, it would be, Jesus eats dinner with sinners. That's what it would say. And they were appalled by this. And Jesus, Jesus has this way of sort of deflecting some of this stuff. I, I often wonder, what would it be like to have a conversation with Jesus? Because I, I have a set way of thinking, and I have notions around stuff. You know, I'm a conservative person as far as politics goes, and I have a, a way I think. I, I wonder often, would Jesus contradict that? Would he cause me to think a different way? I mean, I can't just assume I'm right about everything. We shouldn't assume, assume that. But these people, they were conservative. In fact, they were hyper-conservative. They, they were ones who thought you obeyed every bit of the law, and not just the law, but the minutiae of the law. I mean, they were really conservative. And so... Jesus, I, I like he's, sometimes he's harsher, but this is gentle. He says, um, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. And this makes sense. I'm going to hang out with sick people. I'm going to be with sick people. But I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I, I'm, I'm here to help people find their way to God. Now, again, 
religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, teachers of the law, they, they said you earn your way to heaven. You, you earn it. Well, Jesus said this, Come to me, all, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. And think about the difference in messaging between, hey, you have to work yourself into God's favor, as opposed to, I'm gentle and humble at heart. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Think about the drastic difference in those messages. The heavy burden of having to remember the minutia of the law and obey it perfectly in order to win God's favor. To obey it perfectly as opposed to my yoke is easy to bear and my burden is light. And you can see how that would have had quite an impression on people. Now, let me go back to my point here. Uh, many think you must earn your salvation. Even today, they think you must earn your salvation. So, uh, the setup is this. Jesus calls Levi, to be, uh, who is a tax collector, to be one of his disciples. He has dinner with them. Now, uh, it would have been a party. Uh, the way I see this, the way I see it in my mind's eye, is that Levi becomes a follower of Jesus, and he invites all his rowdy friends to come meet the man he's going to follow. Following a rabbi was, was like the best thing you could do. If you're a Jew, uh, getting into uh, rabbi school with a, to get to follow a rabbi was very unique. Hardly anybody got to do it. And so you can see, it would be like you know, one of your kids, one of our kids, uh, getting a scholarship to Harvard or Yale or something like that. And, and we would throw a party for them to say, hey, uh, she's arrived or he's arrived. So Levi has a party. He invites all his rowdy friends. And they all come over. <clears throat> And, and the Pharisees see it. Again, all this happens in public. It's different than our culture today. If I have a party, I close the blinds, and I don't want anybody to see. Well, in those days, everybody saw everything. It was just kind of everybody knew what was going on. And so there's, there's Matthew, and he's having a party, and Jesus is there. And the Pharisees do not like that he does that. So, now, John's disciples, John the Baptist, there's several Johns in the Bible. Let's not get confused with who this is. This is Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. So John's disciples, he's the one that baptized in the Jordan River. He's the one who baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. You know that. Uh, now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And you all know what fasting is. That's just refraining from eating food. Some of you have done that before. Uh, maybe for... You skip a meal. That's a good place to start if you want to learn how to fast. So you skip a meal, and then that time that you were going to be eating, you spend that time in prayer. So it makes some sense. Um, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? And it looks like a question, but it really is an accusation. Like when your wife asks you, where have you been? Looks like a question, feels like an accusation. And so they ask the question. We're all fasting. We're obeying the law. In fact, we're not just obeying the law. We're like, we're super obeying the law. We're going over and above as far as the law goes. Why aren't your people? And don't miss this. Don't miss the part about 
how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees, now this is super important, John's disciples, I mean, John is the one, John the Baptist is the one, he baptizes Jesus, Jesus comes up and he says, uh, behold the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. I mean, John is all in on Jesus. And Jesus comes to be baptized, and John the Baptist says, no, no, you should baptize me, I don't need to baptize you. And Jesus says, no, we're going to do it this way, this is what we're going to do. I want to set an example. So, John the Baptist is one who kind of believes in Jesus. Because later, John is imprisoned. (laughs) Again, you have to think the way the Jews think here. I'm Jewish, and I'm waiting for a Messiah, and I think the Messiah is going to rule the world. And there's Jesus. (laughs) And he's not ruling the world. He's changing the way people think. He's changing the world. He's not ruling the world. So John the Baptist is in prison one day, and it's like not going the way he thinks it should. And so he sends messengers to Jesus and says, are you the Messiah? Or should we look for somebody else? It's a great question. Because Jesus wasn't behaving the way John the Baptist thought he would. Thought he should. And so he asks the question, are you the one? And so, John the Baptist's followers, you'd think, would be followers of Jesus. I always thought, well, everybody that was, you know, for John the Baptist. In fact, John the Baptist said, hey, you should follow him. He must become greater, and I must become less. You ought to follow Jesus and not me anymore. He said that. Do you all remember those paint-by-number pictures? You may have done some of those. And you know how it works, right? There's this picture, and it has numbers, and there are corresponding... uh, There's a palette over here with corresponding numbers, and so, you know, one is blue, and two is dark blue, and three is light blue, and so you find the ones, and you paint all the ones, and you try to stay in the lines, and you find all the eights, and you paint all the eights, and you try to stay in the lines, and, and you can make a great painting this way. But the heart of the artist isn't in that painting, Right? I mean, it's no creativity to it. You, you paint within the lines. All you got to do is stay in the lines. There's no creativity. There's no artistry particularly to it other than staying in the lines. And what the Pharisees and the scribes, they were paint-by-numbers people. They said if you obey all the rules perfectly, then you would win God's favor. But they failed to capture the heart of the artist. Jesus is the artist. And he's, pardon me just a second, different with him. It's just different. And so, he says, back to that verse, John's disciples and the Pharisees, they're the ones who are fasting. And and it's almost as if, again, let, let me show you what John said. Uh, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean countryside, everybody in the country, uh, and all the people of Jerusalem went out to see him confessing their sins and baptizing them in the Jordan River. And this is who John the Baptist was. And so the question is, how is it that they're fasting, John the Baptist? It's almost like the Pharisees understand Jesus might not like them but john the baptist that's his cousin i mean that's his people 
Jesus and John the Baptist would have been, you know, copacetic. They would have been buds. So now the question is, it's not just us who are fasting, but John's disciples are fasting. And you're not, only are you not not fasting, pardon the double negative, not only are you not not fasting, but you are partying. How could you party? Because we're fasting to win God's favor, and you're like, don't, don't seem to care about that. You don't seem to care about winning God's favor. We're fasting, you're partying, this doesn't make any sense to us. Not only are you fasting, not fasting, you're partying, not only are you partying, you're partying with people we would never party with. You're partying with people we would never even associate with. Jesus, what is your deal? Now, the scribes and the Pharisees, they decided that there's one prescribed fast for the country, the, the nation of Israel, one prescribed fast a year. It's called Yom Kippur. You've heard that probably. And on Yom Kippur, that's the day that you fasted. One day a year. The scribes and the Pharisees thought that's not enough. So they decided they were going to fast twice a week. Now, I'm no mathematician, but that's 104 times more than once a year. Twice a week is 104. And am I not right? That's right, right? Um, Dave Fawcett, uh, 52 times 2. Thank you, David. Okay. All right. Nobody was helping me. David, I knew you'd help me. Thank you, buddy. 104 times more fasting than was prescribed in Scripture. I mean, you talk about overachieving. These guys were overachievers. and They were really going after this fast thing. And so they fasted twice a week. Does anybody remember? Gary Wilson, are you in here? <laughs> Sinner. Uh, so um, does anybody remember what days the Pharisees fasted on? They did, they did it on two specific days. you remember? Do you ever listen to me? Uh, really? All right, well, you got seven days. You, you could probably, you got a chance. You got a one in seven chance. You got a two in seven chance. Monday and Thursday. Do you know why? You remember why? <laughs> Let me just tell you. Okay, <clears throat> obviously, you're not, you're not tracking. Monday and Thursdays were um, market days. And so if you wanted people to notice that you were fasting, the day you want to fast is Monday and Thursday. You go to the market. <laughs> and you kind of sink your cheeks in. You know, like this. Like you're fasting, you know. Like, I'm really on a diet. And, you know, and, and, and you suck in your gut. And, and so you want everybody, and you, you don't wash your face. And, and you go to the market Monday and Thursday. And the people who look miserable are the ones who are fasting. And they wanted people to note their righteousness. When people to see it, they didn't have Facebook, you know, they have Facebook to say, hey, I'm righteous. So uh, they, they went to the market. The market was Facebook for them. Everybody was there. Monday, Thursday, they went to market and they fasted and they, they, they made it a rule. Got to fast. And so this question, again, it's much more than just a, a question it's an accusation. Hey, why are you not trying to win God's favor the way we think you should win God's favor? And the Pharisee would go to the market, and he, th this is from Luke 18, and, 
and, and stood by himself and prayed. <laughs> Again, look at me while I pray. I'm fasting, I'm all disheveled, I haven't washed, I mean, I'm, I look horrible, look at me. And then he prays out loud, really loud. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Well, what an arrogant putz. Uh, robbers and evildoers and adulterers or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth all of all I get to the poor. And they did these things for show. They prayed for show. They fasted for show. They gave uh, gifts to the poor. And they wanted everybody to know it. They wanted everybody to know it. They're Acts of righteousness, their acts of spirituality, were for everybody to see. And Jesus confronts them with this. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. Because if you're doing it for show, you're doing it wrong. It's another great lesson from this parable. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. And that's exactly why they were doing it. They wanted a reward from their Father in heaven. And Jesus is like, that's not the way you do it. And then he says, hey, if you're going to give to the needy, don't tell anybody. And if you're going to pray, do it in a closet where nobody sees. And if you fast, do it privately. It's not a show. If you do it for show, you're doing it wrong. Jesus confronts them all over the place. When I was growing up, we had rules. We had traditions. I went to a Baptist church. I grew up in a Baptist church, a little Gethsemane Baptist in Danville, Kentucky. And one of the rules was you wore your very best, your Sunday best. That, that was a rule. And, and there was an unspoken rule, but we all knew it. The more you attended church, the closer to God you were. And so we had Sunday morning people, pshaw, Sunday morning people, they kind of are, you know, they're kind of religious. And then you had Sunday school and Sunday morning people, they're better. And you had Sunday school and Sunday morning and Sunday night people, now you're talking. And if you were really spiritual, Sunday school, Sunday morning, training union, which is nighttime Sunday school, Sunday night. And, and now, if you and Jesus were like this, Sunday school, Sunday morning, training union, Sunday night, Wednesday night, prayer meeting, and Bible study. When there was a revival, how many days did you go? You went every day, if you were spiritual. We had these rules. We, we knew the rules. And Jesus is saying, look, 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 look. Ritual in and of itself is fine. I, I think coming to church is important. I, I love coming to church. I miss it when I don't go, get to go to church. I took two weeks where I wasn't here on a Sunday morning, and I felt so disconnected when I came back. I, I don't like that. I don't know that I'm ever going to do that again. I just really didn't like that. I like church. I like church people, <laughs> most of you. Uh, you know, uh, I, I like coming to church. So I'm not, I'm not saying don't, you know, just jettison all of it. It's just what you think you're getting out of it. And so Jesus, again, the question is, uh, 
how is it that we're fasting and you're not? And so Jesus says this little thing here. How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? Do, do you know these Pharisees? Again, remember this. Now, now, weddings in that day sometimes lasted up to seven days. That was a, you talk about a party. Now, that was a party. Seven days of celebration. And again, think about it in this context. They didn't have Netflix and they don't have football. And, you know, they got no other recreation. So a wedding was the biggest deal that came along in the village. And if they had a wedding, then you were going to party for a while. Because it was, it was a social outing unlike any other. So they would, uh, they would socialize for seven days. It's a great time for them to be together for seven days. And Jesus is like, you can't fast. But sometimes... The Pharisees would show up to the weddings and they would want to fast. They even had rules about this. The rabbis got tired of the Pharisees doing this stuff and they made a rule. There's a book called, there's a a document, a a fasting document. Uh, They had rules around fasting. It's called the Megalit Tanat. And they said specifically, you do not fast during a wedding. They had to to write it out. Don't fast during a, a wedding. Jesus is like, boys, there's going, in fact, look at what he says next. Someday the groom will be taken away and then they'll fast. That's prophetic because someday the groom was taken away. Jesus, in fact, the word they're taken away from them literally means to snatch away. It's not just that you're going to lead him off. No, they snatched him away and then they fasted and you'll notice if you read Scripture, in, in the book of Acts, Jesus is on the road to, uh, to Emmaus with a couple of people and are talking about, hey, some stuff just happened and this guy got crucified and Jesus was there, but they didn't know who he was. And then he goes to their town with them and he breaks bread with them. And it's almost as if they're fasting and Jesus is like, no, 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 now, now's the time to not fast. And remember, Peter and the boys were fishing and Jesus has food on on the, the beach for them when they come in. It's almost like they've been fasting. And Jesus is like, no, no, it's, it's okay. You can, it, it's time to celebrate. You, you fast. You fast. There's a re, there are times to fast, absolutely. If your heart is broken over something, fasting makes sense. Uh, I've I fasted before many times. Um, you have a, a kid that's wandered away or you have something that's happened. I mean, fasting, there, there's a connection to God that's different when you fast. But Jesus was like, look, this, this isn't, you're not winning God's favor with this. In fact, that's the next point. Grace and works don't mix. They don't mix. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Not, <laughs> unshrunk and pre-shrunk do not mix. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away when it shrinks and the old, uh, from the old and making it worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. And here's the reason. Because when you pour new wine into a new wineskin, and what they would do, they would take a goat and they would sew up, you know, where the legs and the, uh, and, and, uh, uh, the tail were, and, and they would use the neck as a spout, and they would put new wine into new wineskins, which were pliable. And in the fermentation process there would be an expansion and the new wineskin would expand. <laughs> now, I'm not going to liken any of you to old wineskins, but 
You know people, let's go with it, let's do this. You know people who are older who aren't as flexible as they used to be. Can I get a witness? That's true, right? It's true. <laughs> Linda, I wasn't asking for volunteers, but uh, that's me. Uh, okay, okay. We're not as pliable when we get old. We're not as flexible when we get old. In this statement about old wine, I mean, uh, uh, new wine and old wineskins, Jesus is talking about the law. That's the old wineskin. It was there for a purpose. It, it functioned at one time. Because here's what happened. You put new wine into a new wineskin, there was an expansion, and then they would pour, uh, once the fermentation process had, had completed, uh, they would pour the, the, the wine, which is now aged, into jugs, and that wineskin could never be used again for that purpose, because if you poured new wine into an old wineskin, the expansion would cause it to crack, and then you would lose the new wine. There was a season when the law made sense. God gave it to Moses to give to the Israelites to live by. It was a path to get you to understand that there was a Messiah coming. It was never, hey, you obey all these rules, you obey the Ten Commandments, and then you, you win favor with God. But it is a great system. I mean, the Ten Commandments are still brilliant, even though they were written 4,000 years ago. Don't commit adultery? Well, that's still really, really good advice. Don't steal? Really, really good advice. You know? Honor God? Really, really good advice. It's really, really good stuff. But, but Jesus was saying in Himself, it was new. It was different. You now come to the Father not through a blood sacrifice of an animal, which they did every year. Remember Yom Kippur, I said just a minute ago, you fasted because that was the celebration. That was the time when they were going to offer a sacrifice for your sins. And so you were fasting to ask God to forgive you of your sins. Serious business. And Jesus was saying to these folks, look, This is new wine. I'm not going to try to patch up the old system, the old law. I'm not going to try to patch that up. I'm not going to pour this new wine into an old wineskin because it's not flexible. And then he goes on after this to say, no one who has tasted the old wine chooses the new because we get stuck in our ways. Super interesting. Jesus is saying that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. No one does. So as we end today, we're going to take communion with the understanding of this. Jesus made a way where there was no way. The blood of animals only lasted a little bit. You had to do it all the time. One of the things I'm most thankful for following Christ 
is that when I make a mistake, I can be forgiven immediately. I don't have to wait for Yom Kippur. I don't have to wait for some (laughs) sacrifice. I don't have to go to Jerusalem to make it happen. I can make a mistake now and be forgiven immediately. So if you have your cups and somebody... Uh, Brad, would you bring me one? Do you mind getting me one uh, one of the communion cups? I just don't have one with me. If you don't have one, you ought to go get one. <coughs> Probably ought not throw it. It just doesn't seem right. Thank you. That's good. Thank you, Brad. So take a second. Peel off that top part so you can get to the little wafer. And then peel off the foil so you can get to the wine or here in the Baptist church grape juice (coughs) Jesus does all this teaching about how behold I make all things new on the night he was betrayed The night he offered himself as a sacrifice for you and for me, he met with his disciples in an upper room. Now, we didn't live then, but if we did, and we were one of his disciples, and we're his disciple now, so let's just assume we would have been, he would have had this meal with us. Sometimes I put myself, okay, I'm in the room with Jesus. And he would have taken a chalice, not like this, but a chalice. And he would have held it up above his head. And he would have thanked God for the fruit of the vine. Have you ever had a meal and you forgot to thank, you know, offer a blessing and you feel a little guilty about it? Man, the Jews were very strict about this. And so, in fact, in this particular instance, they thank God for the fruit of the vine. And then they thank God for the bread. I mean, they're thanking God for everything. It's like the little boy at Thanksgiving. He was praying for, you know, thank you, Lord, for the turkey and thank you for the mashed potatoes. And then he looked at his mom and said, I don't, I don't like broccoli. Do I have to thank you for that? Well, um, we thank God for all things. And so Jesus was with his disciples like us, me and you. And he said, took the bread first. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's do the body first. Let's do the cracker first. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he would have taken the chalice of wine and he would have said, this is the new covenant in my blood. This is the new agreement. You follow me, I forgive you. It's a great agreement. It's a great contract. You follow me, I'll forgive you. And then um, one of the benefits is you get eternal life. It's a really good deal. It's a really, really good deal. So this is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And we do it now. And he said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup... You are proclaiming that you follow Christ until the day he comes back.
Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we trust you. We ask that you would heal our friends who have needs to be healed. Lord, some of those are physical, some of them are emotional, spiritual. There may be people in the room right now who you're drawing unto yourself, and I pray, God, that they would let go of their lives and give you everything. For my friends who are traveling back to Michigan sometime soon, I ask blessings on them. We're thankful for our church and the family that we get to be together. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to welcome new folks. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to get together every week. I pray blessings on our time um, this week as we serve you. Help us to do it well. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.